This is the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore. David Kinney joins us. How you doing, David? Very good. Thanks for having me. You bet. Uh, David Kinney is a journalist, author of two previous books, The Big One, about a fishing tournament off Martha's Vineyard, and The Dylanologist's Adventures in the Land of Bob. He was a political reporter, uh, not Bob, but David Kinney, for the Star-Ledger, which is New Jersey's largest newspaper. And on The Historians, David Kinney joins us to talk about a book that he co-authored with Robert Whitman, uh, Robert Whitman, a retired FBI expert on cultural property crime, and the book is called The Devil's Diary, Alfred Rosenberg and the Stolen Secrets of the Third Reich, published by HarperCollins. Who was our Alfred Rosenberg, and why is he an important figure from Adolf Hitler's Germany? Oh, that's a big question. So Alfred Rosenberg was... Uh, uh, one of uh, Hitler's uh, closest aides uh, was a, a Nazi Party member from 1919 uh, through to the end, uh, through to 1945. Uh, was hung as a war criminal in uh, at Nuremberg in 1946. He was known as um, Hitler's chief philosopher or uh, chief ideologue. Sometimes mm -hmm. uh, he was probably the most prolific uh, writer in the Nazi Party. Beginning in 1919, he was he was um, uh, writing for uh, nationalist newspapers. He became the editor of the Nazi Party newspaper through the 20s. For a brief time, he actually ran the Nazi Party when uh, Hitler was in, imprisoned after the Nazis tried to overthrow the country in, uh, in mm -hmm. 1923. And uh, over his, his long career, he held a, a lot of different positions and, and got his... his um, was involved in some of the biggest crimes of, of the, the Nazi era. Mm -hmm. um, wrote a book called um, The Myth of the 20th Century that mm -hmm. was an encapsulation of, of Nazi ideology and was cons and, and was the number two selling best-selling book in the Third Reich, second only to Mein Kampf. He was a very significant figure in, in laying the groundwork for the Holocaust, sort of the, the pseudo-intellectual anti-Semitic groundwork for for what, what came later. But I would say certainly he's not you know, maybe as well-known popularly as uh, uh, some of the other Nazi leaders. And one thing I, I just want to bring it up, I, I think it's addressed in a footnote or an index item in your book, uh, the name Rosenberg sounds Jewish. Uh, and probably because when we hear Rosenberg in, in history, we think of Julius and Ethel, who were Jewish, and they were the people that were uh, accused and convicted of passing nuclear uh, secrets to the Russians. And apparently there were those in the Nazi party who believed Alfred Rosenberg had Jewish ancestry? Uh, that's correct. That was, that was sort of a slur against him. Um, the, the name Rosenberg, where he came from, he was born in uh, Estonia, was common among among ethnic Germans. Uh, but when he came to, when he when he emigrated to Germany in 1919, um, it, it was it was always this sort of undercurrent. I mean, I think it was a it was a slur. It was it was his enemies trying to undermine him. Um, but historians have looked at at uh, his background and have been unable to to find anything that that would suggest that. That he had uh, that he had Jewish blood, 
And one case that, that he made that, that Hitler adopted was that what he saw as the Jewish conspiracy was linked to the communist revolution in the old Soviet Union. Can you expand on that idea? Yeah, that, that's correct. And, and that, uh, historians believe, is, is his most significant contribution to Hitler's thinking. Um, so Rosenberg was there in, in, the, in the beginning uh, when the party is, is coalescing around Hitler and is sort of fine-tuning its message. So anti-Semitism was, was there, um, and, and he was uh, as, as much of a proponent of that and, and a propagator of that, those, those theories as, as anybody. Um, he, he helped uh, um, propagate the infamous protocols uh, of the elders of Zion um, that, that um, purported to be uh, a, a meeting of, of um, you know, high-level Jews who were, who were plotting to overtake the world. Um, so he linked all of that sort of anti-Semitic stuff to the communist revolution, and the, the thinking, the argument was basically it happened in Moscow, and now it, they're, they're trying to do the same thing here in Germany, and we have to stop them. If we don't, um, you know, we're going to be next, and what happened there will happen here. Um, and, and that had far-reaching consequences. I mean, once, once Hitler latched onto that idea, um, the sense, it, it became basically policy that, that for Germany to expand, we need to, we need to conquer Russia. Um, and, and so that leads directly to Operation Barbarossa in 1941. And after Hitler decided to invade, uh, he pulled Rosenberg in to um, basically oversee the political administration of the new occupied territories. And so Rosenberg became a very significant figure in the post-war, not, well, I mean, it was intended to be the post-war, but, but the, the post-invasion occupation of mm-hmm. the Ukraine, Belarus, um, uh, the Baltic states, and in those those regions, it was, it was a, a crushing occupation. Um, millions of, of people were shipped back to Germany um, to be forced laborers, mm-hmm. um, and uh, more than a million were were uh, shot down as the, the first sort of wave of, of uh, the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Rosenberg was was overseeing that that territory. So he was he and, and his administration was was deeply implicated Mm -hmm. in that. And he kept a diary. Uh, Your book uh, reveals, I believe, for the first time, the the extent of what's in the diary. And there's quite a story as to why the diary was not well-known or published before. As the war was ending, Rosenberg's diary was handed over with other documents to the American military by Nazi Kurt von Baer. Who was he? Well, uh, Kurt von Baer was a um, was a flamboyant uh, Nazi uh, had had been involved with the German Red Cross. Uh, to back up a, a bit, um, one of Rosenberg's roles during uh, the war years was to orchestrate, manage the uh, continent-wide uh, uh, looting of of uh, European art. Um, and so these these paintings and and uh, tapestries and and 
other priceless artwork were packaged up and, and uh, shipped back to Germany. Rosenberg oversaw this operation. Uh, von Baer was uh, Rosenberg's official in Paris, um, and he had sort of a notorious, a no- notorious reputation in Paris um, for the, the, the kind of oper- uh, operation that he uh, that he ran. He he was, um, you know, he was out for himself as as much as as anybody else. Uh, so he's a colorful character. Um, ends up fleeing uh, Paris. Uh, and taking refuge at the end of the war in a castle called Bonds, uh, it's really a palace, a Bonds Palace uh, in Bavaria. And when the Americans get there, he, you know, cuts a deal. I think he's hoping to save his life, perhaps. Um, he offers to show the American military officials uh, a cache of, of documents that um, that he knows are stored away in in the palace, and they take him up on the offer um, of at least looking at the stuff. So he takes him down five stories below um, into the basement. There's a vault, a concrete vault, and it's just piles and piles of, of documents. And uh, among them are you know 250 um, volumes of Rosenberg's uh, material. So it's it's the records of all of his offices, um, his, he had many different offices. Um, so it was all of those records, and then among it is is this diary. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't apparently save Von Baer's life. Uh, whatever deal he had hoped to cut didn't come through. Um, and soon after, he and his wife put on their, their dress clothes and um, went to the, the library in their, um, in their palace and, and drank some champagne, laced with uh, cyanide. Mm. Uh, and it was a fine champagne, right? And Well, it was a vintage uh, from, from 1918, which I think was uh, intentional. You know, that, yeah. was the, that was the last year that, that was the end of, of World War One, and the last time that sort of Germany had been, been laid low. Mm. Uh, so I think they chose it for a reason. Now, you uh, have already mentioned that Alfred Rosenberg was tried by the Nuremberg Tribunal and hanged October of uh, 1946. Was his diary used against him at the uh, at the trial? Curiously, it was it was not. Uh, there was so much material um, that that prosecutors had at hand um, at, at Nuremberg. I mean, it was it was the Germans sort of wrote everything down, <clears throat> and although there were orders to to destroy, burn the records, not leave anything behind. Um, there were archivists, German archivists, who were in charge of this stuff, and some of them couldn't bring themselves to do it. Do it. Uh, in other cases, you know, the stuff just fell into Americans' hands, and so they didn't. Uh, it, it seems that they didn't need it. Um, and while prosecutors looked it over, um, it uh, much of it was sent back. Some of it was sent back, uh, and then some of it disappeared. Uh, but they had all the evidence they needed. Uh, from other letters and documents and testimony to mm-hmm. prosecute and convict Rosenberg. And now, and at this point, uh, another man comes into the story of what happened to the diary, and that's Robert Kempner. He was raised in Germany. He's Jewish. And when he was in Germany in the 1930s, he tried to bring charges of high treason against Hitler, which, of course, uh, caused him a, a lot of a lot of trouble. What happened to him? Well, so uh, after he, he worked for the Prussian Interior Ministry, um, 
in Berlin. And as soon as the Nazis took over in 1933, uh, Hitler appointed uh, Hermann Goering uh, in charge of the Interior Ministry, and he very quickly cleaned out uh, any potential enemies uh, from the department. So Kempner was almost immediately um, uh, placed on, on a leave of absence and, and quickly fired, um, not because he was Jewish, but because he was uh, considered politically unreliable. Um, now Kempner was was a character. Uh, he, he was he was a networker, uh, the kind of guy who who um, knew everybody, knew where the bodies were buried, and, and was very good at self preservation. In fact, one of his one of his allies was um, the the founder of the Gestapo, uh, Rudolf Diels. And so his his connection to uh, Diels, I think, helped him. Um, helped him stay in Berlin even after he was fired. Um, so he did not he did not flee immediately. He set up a, a transfer office, basically where he used his his um, knowledge and skills to help um, to help people who wanted to flee Germany. Essentially, mm-hmm. uh, they would they would pay him, and he would he would um, line up the paperwork and, and the approvals that they needed, and, and figure out how and where they could could go where they needed to go. And so he did that for a couple of years. Uh, and then he got into uh, trouble. Uh, um, his name was found in the notebook of a, a pacifist journalist who had been arrested by the Gestapo. Um, and he was arrested on on suspicion, basically being a, a source for this, this journalist. Mm-hmm. Uh, ends up being thrown into a, a concentration camp in, in Berlin, for a couple of weeks and then works his connections. It, it appears that Rudolf Diels helped him, helped spring him out of jail. Um, and once that happened, he realized it was time to go. So he flees with his, his wife and uh, his mother-in-law to uh, Italy, where he um, works at a, a boarding school for a couple of years, um, a boarding school for Jewish students. Um, some of them had been uh, sent out of the country ahead of time by their parents who were afraid of what was going to happen in Germany or in, in Austria or other mm-hmm. countries in Eastern Europe. Um, some of them, their parents had, had already fled and was looking for, they were mm-hmm. looking for a place to educate their kids. Um, Kempner had sent his own child there ahead, uh, ahead of time. I think we better move they the story along. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, David, I think we got to move the story. So, But eventually oh, yeah, he comes to America, right? Yes. Ultimately he, he <laughs> I'm sorry. Ultimately, he does. It's a long. It's a long story. Um, yeah, he arrives in uh, New York City on the day that uh, World War II begins, September first, nineteen thirty-nine, um, and ends up working um, for uh, the University of Pennsylvania as a as sort of a local and state government institute. He does some research stuff there, but what he really wants to do is work for the FBI, and so he. Um, you know, writes assiduously to uh, J. Uh, J. Edgar Hoover, um, ultimately becomes a, a sort of a special informant for the FBI, um, makes his mark, meets some people by becoming an expert witness for um, the Justice Department, who is prosecuting Nazi propagandists in the United States. And so he meets some significant officials through that role. And when the war ends and the trials are being put together, uh, Robert Jackson decides to hire him and bring him on as a, as a prosecutor. Uh, the thinking being 
you know, he's somebody who knew Germany well. He was there. He knew these characters. And as, as Kempner put it, you know, he knew when, when mm. they were he, – he knew their lies. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he was kind of an inside man um, on the uh, American prosecution team. Mm-hmm. Now, did he – come into possession of the the diary at that time, you know, as as he's working as a, a prosecutor at the Nuremberg trials. And if he did, how did he get it? It appears it appears so. I mean as as prosecutor he could um he could request documents. Uh and and he had a bit of a reputation of, of being a guy who would uh, uh, sort of a black hole. Documents would, would be sent and then they were supposed to be sent back and and the document division would ask for them, and <clears throat> they were gone. So it seems that 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 was that was what happened with the diary. People, there was so much paper. I mean, it's a huge volume of paper and copies and legal briefs, and it was a bit chaotic. Kempner stayed in Nuremberg for, for four years, most of the better part of four years. First, at the main trial that we all think of. Uh, as the Nuremberg trial against the major war criminals uh, uh, at which Rosenberg is hung. But then he stays on for a few years after that at the subsequent trials and runs one of the longest-running trials against uh, the German foreign office, essentially, uh, high-ranking officials in the foreign office. And so he was there till '49, and it, a lot of people had already left. A lot of people had come and gone. And so at some point during this period, he, he has the diary and he keeps it. Hmm. Um, he, th- there's also a famous story um, involving Kempner and um, the protocol for the Von C conference, the only surviving minutes of this meeting. He was, uh, it, it was his people who found that. Uh, and at first, he didn't want to share it with his fellow prosecutors. He wanted to mm-hmm. un- unveil it at his own trial uh, and and finally he was sort of dragged to the carpet until and 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 he had to he had to turn the thing over and so he had this sort of reputation of being mm-hmm. uh being a bit secretive about sure. uh, about these things and now, I, if I, I could no, i'm sorry david interrupt ahead. you I, I want to remind folks that we're talking with david kinney along with robert whitman author of the devil's diary alfred rosenberg and the stolen secrets of the third reich that the von c conference you mentioned that was where the nazis planned their strategy vis-a-vis the Jewish people, correct? Well, I mean, it, it, it was, that, that's maybe a bit more uh, overstating it a bit. I mean, it, it was, at the time, it was seen as, as a very significant meeting. Um, it, it was it was a important planning meeting of the, 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 about the Holocaust, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, Rosenberg sent two officials there. Um, so it was it was a, it was a very significant document, um, and and at the time it was found, it was the most significant document, um, and and you know Kempner played a central role in that. Uh, I so, think the reason that he that he kept these things uh, is that he was hoping to. I think there might have been a couple of reasons. I mean, part of it was was that he was a, a hoarder, uh, mm-hmm. even in his personal life. Uh, he he just. He, he kept all of these things. There was um, the second reason was that he wanted to he wanted to write about and publicize these things. Mm-hmm. Um, he was upset uh, at the end of the Nuremberg trials that already sort of a revisionist history was being was was um, 
being propagated in in Germany mm-hmm. uh, that already people were were thinking well the Nazis weren't all that bad and if if you know Hitler had listened to the generals and they would have won the war and everything would have been okay um, he wanted to combat mm-hmm. con- continue fighting the battle continue showing the world um, all of what the Nazis did and make sure that 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 it it couldn't repeat itself um, he he was very worried about that and he was worried that that documents would would, it would not make it to the archives, mm-hmm. that they would disappear. Um, okay. Ironically. Again, David, I'm sorry. We're, we're, we're running a, We're running short of time. I want to sort of get the story to, uh, to the end because um, Kempner, Robert Kempner, died in 1993. Apparently his sons uh, promised to have the diary, the Alfred Rosenberg diary, and other papers held by Kempner donated to the U.S. Holocaust Museum, but that didn't happen, at least not initially. And your co-author, Robert Whitman, comes into the story now because the, this, uh, you know, cultural documents are his specialty with the FBI, and he worked on getting the diary for the Holocaust Museum. And let, let me just to say it, and you can uh, recount it or, or say other things, but obviously he finally did get the diary uh, turned over to the museum and, and thus to the public. How did that play out? Uh, it was a long and tortured uh, battle, just like everything else. I mean, it, um, what happened after uh, Kempner died, uh, as you say, the, the sons donated all of his papers to the Holocaust Museum. Nobody knew for sure that Kempner had it, uh, had, had the diary. Uh, he had all this other stuff that was, that was significant and, and interesting to the Holocaust Museum. Um, but what happened was a um, Kempner had a couple of legal secretaries who had also, at, at certain points in his life, been his mistresses. Uh, they had physical custody of, of these papers, uh, and they had befriended a former professor in uh, upstate New York and, and Canada um, who ran a, a um, academic press up there. And he had an idea of starting what he called the Robert Kempner Collegium in Lewiston, New York. And so it became a fight, basically, between these two women and the museum uh, over, um, and, and Kempner's heirs over where the papers should go. And so in that confusion, the Holocaust Museum ultimately won, but in that confusion, some of the papers were shipped up to Lewiston, and it became a fight to go and uh, get all of these paper from pap- uh, papers from various and sundry different locations. Mm-hmm. And even when they were done with all that, uh, the FBI got involved. Even when they were done with all of that sometime around 2003, 2004, uh, the diary wasn't there. And so the case sort of went cold until um, they made one last-ditch effort in 2012 to see if they could, if they could go get it. Uh, by this time, um, Whitman was no longer with the FBI. He was a private investigator. So the Holocaust Museum mm-hmm. hired him as a private consultant to go up and try to find this thing. Um, and that's what he did. Yeah. Uh, he made a trip up there. He got uh, some of his old government contacts involved. Um, uh, an official from Home- Homeland Security went up and, and interviewed this, uh, this individual and ultimately, he turned it over. Mm. Um, his name Herbert Richardson. Of course, we're in, the, in New York State, or that's where we produce our show. And Lewiston's out by Niagara Falls, I believe. Correct. 
so he turned it over. I, I believe it said in the book when he, uh, the, the Herbert Richardson, the professor, turned the diary over when he got a subpoena. Uh, yes, that's correct. When when he was interviewed by uh, the the agent from Homeland Security, uh, they gave him a subpoena for any government documents he had in in, in his possession. The, the the distinction is that. Uh, all of these documents that were captured by the Americans during World War II were uh, became you know government documents, U.S. government documents, and were supposed to be turned over to the National Archives. Uh, so Kempner, he he got a letter from uh, an individual who ran the document division at, at Nuremberg that said he was he, he could sort of borrow uh, these documents for his own research. Um, it's a one-paragraph letter uh, with with that, that probably would not have stood up in court uh, if he was if he if it was contested. This this should have been a government document. It should have been in the National Archives, and so that was the grounds for going and and getting it back. Mm-hmm. And the the diary, you know, gets in the hands of the Holocaust Museum or scholars such as you and your co-author uh, in 2013. That's correct. Yeah, this, uh, April first of, of 2013, it was it was handed over, and then in December, uh, it was um, it was officially handed over to the Holocaust Museum. Uh, and now you can go online on their website. They have they've scanned all the uh, all the pages, and you can actually see the handwritten pages of of, of what Rosenberg wrote. Hmm. How long did you work on the on the book? Uh, we spent a couple of years on it. Uh, we started soon after it was found, a couple of months after it was found. Hmm. And we're uh, uh, talking again about Alfred Rosenberg, who was a top uh, official in Nazi Germany. One thing we hadn't uh, mentioned uh, was that his the diary also recounts how Hitler opposed uh, Catholics as well, especially the Catholic clergy. Yes. Yes, I mean that—that's probably the the uh, one of the more significant revelations in in Rosenberg's diary is uh, these these sort of um, uh, very yeah very negative ideas about uh, Christianity and 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 the Catholic Church in particular. Um, it, Rosenberg was known in his time as being uh, the, uh, the 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 church's biggest enemy in in the third reich um hitler you know some people believe that that hitler being a catholic uh was was not necessarily opposed to them he would say oh rosenberg what rosenberg's writing are are his own private opinions um rosenberg's diary recounts conversations with hitler where hitler is obviously playing a political game that he doesn't want to offend the churches he doesn't want to turn the churches totally against him uh, because he fears it'll turn the people against him as well. Uh, and and he's continually saying sort of after the war, after the war, after the war, we'll crush the churches. Hmm. David Kinney and Robert Whitman are the authors of The Devil's Diary, Alfred Rosenberg and the Stolen Secrets of the Third Reich. Fascinating book. It's published by Harper Collins. And just uh, one uh, quick note, we have you know, just about a minute left. Um, and you've alluded to this uh, throughout the conversation, but another thing you find in the diary is how all these Nazi big shots, if you will, are all jockeying for position. Yes, yeah, I mean it's fascinating. It's it's uh, it's it's like sort of a modern bureaucracy. Hitler's uh, idea was to um, you know put 
multiple people uh, in charge of sort of the same sorts of things with overlapping responsibilities and let them fight it out. Uh, and so the diary, yeah, it's, it's filled with, with um, Rosenberg's wars with Joseph Goebbels, the propaganda minister, and his uh, fights with his own underlings in, in the Ukraine. And, and um, yeah, just sort of constant trench battle um, in, inside the bureaucracy. At one time, it was thought that, that you know, it was a totalitarian regime, that, that all the orders came from the top down, um, and that everybody, you know, there was a chain of command. It was very military, uh, but it wasn't like that at all mm. inside. It was, it was um, probably familiar to anybody who's familiar with office politics. Okay. Well, David Kinney, I thank you very much for joining us. Once again, David Kinney and Robert Whitman, authors of The Devil's Diary, Alfred Rosenberg and the Stolen Secrets of the Third Reich, published by HarperCollins. You've been listening to the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore.